Everyone assumes automatically that the Middle East is unsafe. And I felt more safe walking alone at night in my neighborhood, Beit Hanina in Jerusalem, than I ever did walking around Tacoma at night. It's just changed everything in my life. Every single person has a gift to offer the world. And what does that look like? How can we inspire people to do that? Grab onto that and and be anchored in that because um, their fulfillment lies in their identity, not in their actions. You can kind of, sort of BS everybody else. It's that kind of thing where you know if you're on it or not. Wake up and clean the slate. And you don't have to believe the lies that people have told you. You're not living that to its potential. It's a waste. Welcome to the Forgotten Art Project. My name is David. And I'm Shara. We are so excited to be here today. Thank you for joining us. Veronica Papulis. Welcome, Veronica. Hi, thank you. Do people get your last name wrong all the time? Yeah, usually. Yeah, what do they say? Uh, Papuleus. Papuleus. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but my mother-in-law says Fabulous Papulus, so that's how I have to introduce it now. That's awesome. Fabulous Papulus. That's a really good <laughs> So embarrassing. No, that's <laughs> great. That's awesome. Cool. Well, we're really excited to have you here today. And um, before we kind of get into more of the fun stuff, tell us a little bit about where you come from and what you're doing now. Sure. So I'm originally from Virginia. My family is Egyptian um, and I live in Tacoma now and I work at World Relief Seattle as an English teacher. Awesome. Yeah. So why World Relief? That seems like kind of a random thing to just say, oh yeah, I want to work at World Relief. <laughs> For sure. Um, well, before I was doing that, I was living in Jerusalem East Jerusalem, Palestine, Mm. and I was teaching fourth grade over there, and I really enjoyed it, Um, and I was moving to Tacoma because I was getting married, and I wanted to find a job that didn't suck my soul. (laughs) That is a good way of saying it. Um, And I wanted to do something I was passionate about, so I found that position, and it just really worked out. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. So what are you passionate about? What is some, what do you love to do? Yeah. What, what wakes you up in the morning? <laughs> um, I'm really passionate about loving people, <laughs> uh, which sounds so broad. Um, but I've learned over my time living overseas that um, people from different cultures are a little bit more open and mm. a little bit easier to talk to, <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, then from here specifically, or just like from culture to culture? What do you mean? Like, so people are a little bit more open, like like in America, we're more open, or in like, <clears throat> I would say if you're talking from like an American to a Palestinian, yeah. it's more open like across that bridge. I would bridge. say it's more open there as opposed to... It, well, it's here, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't really, outside cultures. Yeah, outside cultures are a little bit more open. And I think by open, I just mean they're more willing to get to know you and sit down mm. with you and drink tea with you for seven hours at a time and nice. have really long conversations and um, talk about things that they're passionate about, things that are important to them. Um, and I kind of figured that out when I was living there. Mm. Uh, just from all of the conversations I've had and all of the relationships I got to build And so I really enjoyed teaching as well. And I wasn't really sure if I wanted to teach kids the rest of my life or if I wanted to teach adults. 
and so I found this position and it was teaching ESL to refugees. And mm-hmm. I thought, wow, that would be really cool to connect with so many different people from so many different cultures. Um, and yeah. so that's kind of how it happened. But yeah. Wow. What are some of, what have been some of your experiences so far? Cause you've been in this position for what, about a year, year and a half. Yeah. So I started in September. So a little less than a year. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, some of the coolest parts that I've seen are people connecting with each other in my class. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I mean, imagine moving from a totally different country into a place where you don't speak the language, where you don't understand the people, uh, where you don't have a job, where you're dependent on other people for a while. Um, imagine how that would make you feel, you know, and from living, a lot of these people live with their families in their homes. You know, a lot of my students now are from Afghanistan. And so a lot of them live together in their houses. Um, the whole family lives together. So, so like the generations, the, the generations are the all together. Right. Yeah. So then they move here and it's just them. they're completely by themselves in their apartment in Kent and mm. they don't really have a community anymore. They've been stripped of that. Mm. And so one of the coolest things is getting to see them build a community with each other in my class, because that's their time a week to spend time with each other who might not be from their own culture, but somehow they can all connect um, cross-culturally because they're experiencing really similar things. Mm. So that's been a really amazing thing to see. It's like building a family inside of a classroom. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Very cool. Yeah, I was just going to say thank you. Um, well, it's really interesting because obviously, like, immigration is kind of a big um, topic in our country right now. And so are you, what generation um, did your family immigrate to the U.S.? Yeah, so I'm first generation. generation. Mm -hmm. So both my mom and dad were born in Egypt. And um, my dad came when he was in college. Uh, He came to study here, and then he married my mom, and so that's how he stayed (laughs) in America. (laughs) My mom came when she was nine years old, though. So she came Mm. when she was a kid with her mom and dad and sisters. Mm. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting. There's there's, uh, So going back to what you were saying earlier about how people are more open in other cultures, what do you what do you think that is? Like, what have you thought about? Like the reasoning behind that? Yeah, um, I think part of it is because it seems like in American culture we're taught what we can talk about and what we can't talk about, mm-hmm. and we're supposed to stick to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I and just on a daily basis, you know, like I sit, I take the Sounder train every day, and so in the morning I sit down, and when I first got here, I would say, "Hey, good morning, how's it going?" people usually had their headphones in <laughs> and I was like, cool. <laughs> so I stopped saying good morning. Cause I'm like, you know, you don't, you're not really interested in talking and I understand it's the morning or it's the afternoon and you're tired from work, but I wouldn't dream of getting on a bus in Palestine and not talking to the person I'm sitting next to. Like that would be so rude <laughs> mm. to sit down next to someone and not have a conversation with them and ask about their family. It would be really rude to ask um, about their family. <clears throat> not just how are you doing? But I mean, it quickly progresses there. Yeah, yeah. Who they are. It quickly progresses there. And I think maybe part of it is because they were curious about me. They were like, what do you mean? You speak speak Arabic, you speak Egyptian Arabic, but you're American, but you're living in Palestine. I don't understand. (laughs) So I would have to like go all the way back to the start and, you know, explain stuff. And then they would tell me about their experience and their family. And um, I mean, I was friends with the man down the street who sold me fruits and vegetables. I was friends with the man who sold me my meat. I was friends with the person who sold me my bread. Um, And so, I don't know. It's just really different here, you know? 
don't. Yeah. So in that, in that sort of scenario, <laughs> there's like direct, like, you know, you don't, you're not like going to the grocery store and just like walking around and getting all these things. And there's like such a disconnection from where it came from. Mm-hmm. And the person that's really like selling it to you, you know, it's like a company and a corporation. Whereas like in that, you know, you're buying it from it's this true. person mm-hmm. like you, you know, true. and you see every day. Yeah. And so I think maybe like some of our progression as a culture and things to make life easier and things for companies to profit and make more money have like definitely created these invisible barriers in some ways and we're definitely disconnected we're for sure disconnected yeah it's true it's really interesting to hear how different that is in in other cultures and 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 i think that that is also a really valuable part of travel and being around the world right you you just have like a deeper appreciation and understanding of people and where they come from and for sure yeah yeah, it's just really interesting, too, because, um, I mean, I've traveled quite a bit, just my dad being in the military, and so we moved around a lot. And um, I remember when we were overseas for almost three years, and then we moved back, um, I think the culture shock coming back to the States, having lived overseas, was more difficult than the culture shock of moving for overseas. Sure. For sure. Um, maybe part of it is because as an American, there's a little intrigue, mm-hmm. and so people are interested in yeah. getting to know you, especially as a little kid. You look different, you sound different, and so people are interested. Mm-hmm. But I think that when you move back, there isn't that interest. There's, there isn't, you know, you talk about your experience. I remember sharing stories and people saying, well, are you snobby? Like, I remember <laughs> feeling that as a, you know, a junior high student going to school talking about my experiences and somebody was like, why are you being such a snob? And I'm like, I don't understand because I'm talking about different cultures. And they're like, well, yeah, because you had so much money you could travel. And I'm like, we did not travel because we had money. <laughs> we traveled because it was my dad's job. Yeah. Um, but I definitely felt that culture shock moving back. And I think it's also interesting what you were saying earlier um, you know, as Americans, you think of us as a free speech country, a country full of freedoms, and you think maybe very generally that other cultures, other countries don't have that same freedom of speech, don't have that. But there is more vulnerability in the day-to-day relationships. Yeah. And so as people, are we really... Um, speaking up for ourselves? Are we really being independent? Are we really being vulnerable and willing to create relationships and connections? And um, I don't know. Yeah, it's basically like the opposite, like what you just said, like, oh, we have, we're the land of the free, we have free speech. And then you're like, yeah, but there are all these things we're taught not to talk about. Yes. So I'm like, man, that is crazy. You're right. It seems really (laughs) odd. Yeah. It really does. Um, So talking a little bit more about what you're doing now, um, you specifically are teaching, but you work for an organization that represents some pretty incredible things. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, so World Relief is a refugee resettlement agency, and it's the largest in Washington right now, largest mm-hmm. in eastern Washington. Um, and so we have three offices. We have one in Spokane, one in Tri-Cities, and then one in Kent. So it's called World Relief Seattle, but it's in Kent because that's where affordable housing is for our new refugee families coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a government agency, so it is private. It is a Christian agency, but we serve people from all different faiths. Mm-hmm. Um, our staff is all Christian. Um, but 
Yeah. So right now, our biggest numbers are from Afghanistan and Ukraine. And we also serve asylees. So asylees are people who came here. Um, they have, an, um, like, insane stories. Like, they took a boat from... <laughs> smuggled, they were smuggled into a boat from, you know, one guy's from Pakistan, from Pakistan to uh, Brazil. And then from Brazil, they walked to... <laughs> I mean, it's insane, you know, crossed 17 countries or so all the way to the border where they were, you can claim asylum at the border, but then you're sent to the Northwest Detention Center here in Tacoma. Mm -hmm. And that's a private run detention center. So you can imagine that I remember talking to one person who said, I just feel like I'm here making money for someone, you know, mm -hmm. I feel like they have me here so I can make money for them. Mm -hmm. um, but you can plead for asylum. And then, you know, if you lose your case, you're sent back to your country. If you win your case, then we can work with you at World, at World Relief and get you into an apartment. Um, and so we work with people for the first about 180, 180 days, making sure that they have a job. We find them a job. We teach English classes. Um, we enroll their kids in school. We get them to their first doctor's appointment, all with the goal of self-sufficiency. So we want them mm -hmm. to stand on their own feet because that's what they want. You know, they yeah. don't want to depend on us. They want to have autonomy and have their own life and the same way they had it in Afghanistan or Ukraine, just more safe. So, mm -hmm. so that's kind of the goal. Overall. And then do they start like the immigration process to like applying for citizenship? Yeah, and... so you can apply for citizen after the first five years of living here. Okay. So that's how my mom got citizenship was, you know, as yeah. a little kid. Yeah, she's like 15, 16 years old, and then they could apply. Okay. So they, they seek asylum, they get it, and then you guys work with them, and then that asylum, how long does that last potentially? For... So we try to get them social security cards and um, kind of just go from there. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's denied, and then, you know, then they lose their case. or But usually if they win their case, then they're released from the detention center. Mm. Crazy. What a surreal experience for them yeah. to go through a process like that. Yeah, for sure. And I've had really crazy experiences where, you know, I had one guy from Palestine in my class and um, I was talking to him. And then one day another man walked in and he went and hugged him. And I was like, well, how do you know this guy? The other guy's like from Pakistan. I'm like, how do you know this guy from Pakistan? He's like detention center. We were in detention center together. Wow. And we were hoping we would both get out. And so they both got out, but they have that camaraderie. Yeah. The shared experience. Yeah, for sure. And recently there was a hunger strike going on there because the, yeah, the, it's just really poorly run. I mean, it's privately owned and poorly run and hmm. they kind of feel like they're there to make money off them, you know, hmm. not for, I mean, the whole point of it is to detain people <laughs> who are just trying to find a better life for themselves. So yeah. it's really unfortunate. And then you have people in America who think, well, they're here to steal our jobs or they're here to, <laughs> which is really not true. And if you just did a little research on it, you would find that it's actually the opposite. They actually boost our economy. Um, they come, they bring their own businesses. They are doing jobs that most Americans aren't going to do, honestly. Um, so yeah, it's just totally different. But I think people's ignorance kind of blinds them sometimes. Mm. They're not willing to do research for themselves, and they're not willing to watch anything other than Fox News, and they're not willing to learn anything on their own. Yeah. So that's kind of how you have ignorant people. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think it would be—I'd um, love to talk a little bit more how people can actually get involved, because I think that right there is key. If for you sure. have firsthand experience 
with a person and you're getting to know them directly, then that's going to influence your opinion because Mm -hmm. then you have an experience. Mm -hmm. You have an experience with them. And so what are some of the ways that people, um, because, I mean, we're in the Northwest and we're in the, you know, Seattle, Tacoma area. And so we all have pretty easy access to Ken, I would say. For sure. What are the direct things that we can do for ourselves to help and to get involved? Yeah. So they, World Relief has a couple of different programs. Um, they have a cultural companion program where you just basically choose to be a friend <laughs> to a refugee or an asylee. And you walk alongside them. You explore the neighborhood together. Um, you could have a family paired with a family. You know, if you have kids, you can have a family with kids and your kids can play together. Um, and then... That's really cool. Oh, yeah. That's it's such a cool really idea. Cool. I mean, what a, I mean, not only for the person that you're helping, but like for us too, like yeah. as people that are helping to like just to learn more and be more open to, to other cultures and not because I feel like it's real easy to just be in your like bubble of yeah. especially, yeah. you know, being like a white male American. Like I, <laughs> that's a good, you know, <laughs> getting out of that like bubble is, is kind of difficult. You have to like make an effort. And so wow, yeah. that's really cool. And then for kids too, to like yeah, hang yes, out with too. kids from another culture. Man, mm-hmm. yes. I love that. Yeah. So that's something you can definitely get signed up with. Um, there's also something called host homes. So sometimes when people come from, you know, we had a family recently of 11 people from Afghanistan. And the other thing that's important to note is some of these families from Afghanistan, some of the fathers or mothers worked with the United States Army in Afghanistan. And so now their lives are at risk wow. because they're seen as traitors. Mm. And wow. so they're called SIVs. They're given special immigrant visas. So that's a lot of the people we serve are SIVs. Okay. So um, they're, they're scared. Yeah, for sure. And, you know... But they fought for our country. But they fought for our country. And so I'm like, you can't possibly look at that and say, oh, I don't want them here. You know, like, they helped us when they didn't have to, you know? So so we have a lot of families like that. And something else you can do is you can be a host home. So when they first come, you know, we're not going to have an apartment for them right away. Because housing is really difficult right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Kent's growing oh, yeah. exponentially. <clears throat> yeah, it's huge. Um, but you could sign up to host a family. And so mm-hmm. the family can come live with you. Um, you cook together. You Your kids go to school together. You spend time together until we can get them into a home. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really, really that awesome. Incredible. Yeah, for sure. I don't know how it we can convince cool. the rest of my family. <laughs> I think I would be on board, and my husband would be like, "But where's my bubble? What about my bubble?" Yeah, um, yeah. You can volunteer at the detention center. Um, oh, so you they, can. Yeah, you can. Um, you can. I know there's ministry inside and there's ministry outside. Um, some of the people who work at World Relief are pastors at the detention center mm-hmm. and they host um, church services within the detention center. And then there's people who help on the outside where, you know, they're dropped off in this detention center. And then when they leave, it's in the middle of nowhere, Tacoma. Like there's no bus line. There's no, you know, train next to it. There's no <laughs> taxis. There's no Uber. People don't have phones. So they don't have anywhere to go. So World Relief will help them get to a place. So you can also volunteer to have a walk to be, you know, to drive them, to drive them or to help at the welcome center. Yeah. Outside of the detention center. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if you're just, let's say an average person, you know, maybe you don't have a skill specifically for ministry or something like that. You don't have that cultural experience, but you can just what? 
fill out the application online, show up, and just kind of welcome people. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, do you mean at the detention center? Yeah, and also just in general. If you if you maybe are a little shy about jumping into hosting a family or something like For that. Sure. Well, I would say starting with a cultural companion would be really cool. You're just spending time with someone, you know, as long as you're able to talk to someone. And some of them have low English, sorry, low English. So you get to practice English with them in their homes as well. Um, Mm. And so that's also really fun. But yeah, we have a really wide range of (laughs) activities that you can do and ways that you can help. Mm -hmm. So kind of going back a little bit into your own personal history, um, I mean, it's not typical for somebody to just wake up and even though you have the family history that you mm-hmm. do, it's not very typical for somebody to just wake up and say, okay, this is some, oh, sorry, <laughs> this is something that I want to do. And and then, you know, especially as a young person, this isn't glamorous or, <laughs> you know, uh, why do you think you wanted to do this? I mean, why did you think, like you said yeah. earlier, you wanted something that didn't suck your soul. Why did this appeal to you? Yeah. Um, I think it started when I was 16. So in high school, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I was like, oh, maybe I'll do fashion design. I don't know. Maybe I'll draw pictures and sell them on the street. I have no idea. I really did not have any clue. Um, And my aunt runs a nonprofit in Egypt called Coptic Orphans. And every summer they send Americans to um, a town in Egypt, um, where you get to teach English there for three weeks. So that was my experience, and I did that. And I fell in love with it. Like, I specifically remember a moment when I was in this really torn-up classroom (laughs) in the middle of nowhere, Egypt, and I thought to myself, I could do this for the rest of my life. I could teach in Egypt for the rest of my life if I wanted to. Like, Mm -hmm. it was the first time where I really felt alive, where I really felt like I was doing something I wanted to do. And I felt like I was doing something I was good at too. <laughs> so it was like, you know, I enjoy it, but I'm also, I feel like I'm pretty good at this and I feel like I can do this. And so I remember going back to high school and I was already pretty involved with my art. And I remember telling my art teacher, I don't want to go to art school anymore. I want to go to a school and I want to learn how to teach and I want to move overseas. And she said, you're throwing your life away. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> she said, that's a poor decision and I'm really disappointed in you. <laughs> Which is funny because if you're in like the science department and you're like, yeah, yeah I'm giving up my physics career. I'm going to go do art. They'd be like, that's a very poor decision. Yeah. You're throwing your life away. <laughs> um, but I did it. And so from there, I went to a university in Florida and I got a degree in intercultural studies and I got a TESOL certificate, which is basically to teach English to people who don't speak English. And um, I led a few trips to Jordan, and we taught English over there at a refugee camp for a while. And um, when I graduated, I was like, cool, I want to teach. And one of my professors was like, hey, you speak Arabic. I know a guy in Jerusalem. You want to teach in Jerusalem? And I had never been there. And so I packed two suitcases, and I moved to Jerusalem after I graduated. Were your parents like, (laughs) So that's the cool part is my mom has always been like, heck yeah, do it. Like, (laughs) and I think it was because of my grandma. My grandma had three girls and in Egypt, that was not ideal. It was 
more like, oh, you poor thing, you have three girls, like, what are you going to do, you haram, you know, like, and you, you know, that's, that really sucks. <laughs> and, <laughs> and my, you know, I feel bad for you. And my grandma would say, well, I don't feel bad for me. <laughs> She'd say, my girls are like gold. If you put them through fire, they come out even stronger. And so she just raised them. She was amazing. So she raised them to... She basically raised them as boys, which is in the Egyptian culture. You know, like women were kind of supposed to, expected to raise families and get married young and stay home with the kids. And she said no. And my grandma became one of the first women to work for the FBI in America after they immigrated from Egypt. Yeah. And so. Our mouths are wide open. You can't see us, but. (laughs) My mouth just dropped. Yeah, she was a translator for the FBI. She basically told her girls, you do whatever you want because you can. And so my one aunt started a nonprofit in Egypt, Coptic Orphans. One aunt has a talk show for NPR. And then my mom started her own floristry business. She is a police officer. I mean, they're all just, you know, so that's how they were raised. And so that's how they raised me and my cousins, where it was like, if you want to do it, you do it. Like, you want to do something, you can do it. I don't... If it's safe, mm. I mean, safe, what does safe mean? You know, like right. safe yeah. for who? Like everyone assumes automatically that the Middle East is unsafe. And I felt more safe walking alone at night in my neighborhood, Beit Hanina in Jerusalem, than I ever did walking around Tacoma at night because right. people look out for you. Like mm. it's a different culture there. And they automatically assume that it's so dangerous, but if they would maybe just go there, I don't know, or <laughs> yeah. talk to someone from there, they might see that it's actually really different than what you've been hearing. So awesome. Yeah. Oh, what an incredible thing to have that generational support yeah. of females. Very sure. But you have two brothers. I do have two so. brothers. Yeah. <laughs> but you were treated just the same. Just the same, yeah, for just sure. The same. And my mom was really my mom and I had a really good relationship. Um, we still do. <laughs> had. <laughs> um, she's just a great woman and she's never said, I don't want you to do that, or can you consider doing something different, or Mm. um, is there another job that might be safer? She's never said that. She's Mm. always said, yeah, do it. Heck yeah, do it. Any idea I've ever had, she's like, yeah, you can do that. (laughs) And she's she's just amazing, so. Well, yeah. Yeah. It sounds like she comes from a great great history of that. For sure. Dude, I want to know more about your grandma. Yeah, my grandma's. (laughs) What? Can you mind going in that for a minute? That would be interesting. Yeah, so she actually, so she's one of um, two, and her sister and her were raised in a place called Benesweif, Egypt, which is kind of in the south. And the more south you get, the less money you have, I guess you can say, in Egypt. Um, Upper Egypt tends to have a little bit less money, Um you know, there's no tourist attraction in the middle of nowhere, Egypt on the Nile. Like, you know, most people are kind of up north near the pyramids or in Cairo or in Alexandria. Um, so she did so not north have is more money, so to speak. And yeah. South is less money, yeah. So to speak. Okay. So to speak. Yeah, for sure. Um, so she went to college and that was kind of also unheard of. And she mm. graduated and then she started working in Cairo at a newspaper as a journalist. And my grandfather is actually her boss, but they (laughs) (laughs) fell in love. And um, so they both worked at the newspaper agency. It's called uh, Al-Akbar Al-Yom, which is news of the day. Um, And it was a pretty well-known, it's still around, it's a pretty well-known newspaper in Egypt. Um, But 
Yeah, I don't really know how her grandmother, how her mother raised her, um, but I imagine it was kind of similar to how she raised her girls. And yeah, so she was kind of, she had that mindset that, you know, she wanted to be a journalist, she's going to be a journalist. If she wanted to do the FBI, she was going to do the FBI. (laughs) So she kind of just passed that down to her daughters. Yeah, so coming back to you, you just said like you knew um, teaching English was like the thing for Mm -hmm. you. And so what about it just really like makes you excited? Like why, why is it the thing for you? Um, let's see. <laughs> I think the thing that's, that made me enjoy it was seeing a kid understand something that they didn't understand before and finding ways to explain things that didn't make sense to people before. Um, and I just realized that I really enjoyed doing that and I really enjoyed tailoring how to get information to kids in different ways for them personally. And I really enjoyed connecting with them just overall. Um, It was just, it was so much fun. (laughs) I just really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed, um, I don't know. I just figured stuff out quickly. I figured out how to um, manage a classroom pretty quickly without being authoritarian or without being, mean. Um, And so my first two years teaching, I was kind of given my own classroom because in Egypt, it was more laid back. It was kind of a summer camp, you know? So it was like, yeah, we can dance on the tables, whatever, you know, like (laughs) do whatever you want type of thing. Um, But then I was given a real classroom and a real school. And I was like, wow, I got to kind of change how, got to figure stuff out, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So my first year was really tough um, Mm. teaching and I taught fourth grade And I kind of thought in my head, you know, as long as I'm everybody's friend, then class is going to go great. But that's not really how it works Mm, (laughs) when you teach fourth grade. They need someone who's steady and they need someone who um, they know what to expect from you and you know what to expect from them. And I didn't really figure that out until my second year. Mm. Um, So it was all a learning experience. I feel like teaching has taught me. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, so I just learned how to do... It was just every day was a new learning experience for that first year. And then my second year, it was amazing. Like, I just fell in love with it again. Um, First year, I was like, man, I don't know. Maybe I suck at this. (laughs) Maybe I'm not a good teacher, you know? (laughs) Pretty common. (laughs) Teachers can be like, whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) Why are your shoes off and on the window? (laughs) I don't understand. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so by the second year, I... I remember reading this book. Um, like I would just read like seven books a day about how to teach. And I was like, I am going to be the best teacher ever. Like I know what not to do. Um, and by the second year, it was just amazing. And I really enjoyed my class and it was so much fun. And so, um, I don't know, building relationships with them. Like I felt like I had a bunch of little brothers and sisters running around. Like I just felt so protective of them. Like, mm. like they were my kids. And so when, you know, a kid would get bullied, I was like, who bullied you? You know, like I was like, who dared bully my kid? Like it's yeah. not okay. Yeah. Um, I just felt really connected to them. And um, I just felt like that was my family. Like my classroom was my family. And so it's really cool going from that to teaching adults where, you know, I'm not worried about classroom management. (laughs) I'm not worried about, you know, adults talking out of turn or something. Um, But um, it's just more about learning how to work with so many different cultures and learning how to explain things to someone who might not speak 
any English and trying to get them to understand something and also trying to get someone who has maybe level four or level five English. So it's all about basically being adaptable in the classroom and I feel like that's what I'm good at. So <laughs> that's what I enjoy doing. Yeah. It's presenting new challenges every single day. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So you, you can't just wake up and go in and say, I'm just going to do the same thing I always do. No, definitely not. And I have rarely ever stuck to my lesson plan either. Like, mm. <laughs> I'm like, okay, this isn't working. We're going to change it. And mm. I mean, yeah, I think it's anybody who is type A and who wants to stick to the way they have something done, it's just not going to go well in a classroom. Like <laughs> you have to change constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be willing to think to yourself, okay, what I'm doing now is not working. What can I do to change it? What can I do to help you understand better? Mm-hmm. Um, how can I explain this in a different way as opposed to just repeating yourself multiple mm-hmm. times, you know? Well, and being really focused on the other people. For sure. It's not about you and your needs. Yeah, definitely uh, not. Would you say that for you personally, what do you do for yourself to kind of have that wholeness? Because I would think you'd have to have some kind of a wholeness. I'm going to use my own phrase. Um, You use whatever phrase you want. You would have to have that wholeness before you can go into that classroom Mm -hmm. because you are pouring out into these other people. Well, I would say that being in the classroom makes me whole. (laughs) Really? Because they pour right back into me. You know, it's not a one-sided relationship. It's a two-sided relationship where I feel like they teach me something new every day. I feel like they're teaching me more than I'm ever teaching them. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm learning from them more than they could ever learn from me. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's exhausting. Like, I am super tired after I teach class, but it's also so rewarding, like, Mm -hmm. getting to spend time with them and getting to learn from them and getting to learn about their cultures and their families and hearing about, you know, why they're hurting, hearing about what they're experiencing. It's, yeah, it's a learning. It's, it's for me, it's learning so much. Like, mm-hmm. I don't feel like I'm the teacher almost. I feel like they're teaching me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. yeah. That's how you know. That's how you know. Mm-hmm. Like you said, you knew and you still know because you mm-hmm. can recognize now. Like, yeah, I'm tired, but I feel... Yeah. This was so super rewarding. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Mm-hmm. So where do you see, like, what, what's the future look like? How, <laughs> yeah. You know, where, where do you see yourself in, like, 10 years? Oh, man. I don't know. Not that far ahead yet? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would love to go back overseas at some point um, and maybe teach in a classroom, I don't know, in Lebanon, in Jordan. I really love the Middle East. Um, I've taught in other cultures before, um, but there's something about the Middle East that really just like pulls at my heart. Um, the people I think are just so funny and so much fun and so entertaining. Like I don't think I could, I don't think I could function well without them. Like (laughs) they're just so fun. So I don't know, but I really love what I'm doing now. And I'm, I mean, those people are my friends, like moving to a new community. I mean, I just moved to Tacoma in June Mm -hmm. and I don't have I didn't have any friends when I moved here. You know, I was getting married and I had my in-laws and, you know, they're my in-laws. Yeah. So you <laughs> just started I mean, building your community. Yeah, yeah, it's just, I, so I have a family, but I don't have friends. I didn't have close friends. And so that classroom became my friends. Those people became my friends. And um, I could just see myself continuing to do that. Maybe teaching adults in the Middle East, maybe staying here, teaching classes for a few years longer. 
I'm not sure, but mm. I just know I want to do this. I don't mm. really want to, <laughs> I don't see myself doing much anything different. Mm. Yeah. Um, no, I think we kind of hit all the, the big things. I really wanted to make sure we touched on the practical things that people can do. So just remind us one more time what website we can go to, um, what steps we can go through to, to follow through with that. Yeah, so you can um, find World Relief. It's worldreliefseattle.org, I believe. And... Um, you can go to volunteer opportunities and there's quite a bit on there that you can find. Mm -hmm. um, and there's, you know, you could even volunteer in the English classroom. You could volunteer to help people make resumes, <laughs> yeah. you know? So there's a lot of options on there. And do you have to have like a specific personality type, specific skills, or can it just pretty anybody? Uh, it can be pretty much anyone, as long as you don't have a criminal record. One thing not yeah. to Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think you, I don't know, but we're, we're really picky about who, you know, is around our people because I think they deserve the best. So mm -hmm. personally, um, I think that just goes back to, they deserve the best teachers. They deserve the best services we can give them. Um, they deserve the best medicine we can give them. They deserve the best health care. You know, they're, they're valuable. So mm -hmm. we just want to make sure they're well cared for and well mm -hmm. taken care of. Awesome. Yeah, we're all people, right? Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, we're all connected. Yeah. Um, can you say in a couple different languages, like, what makes you feel alive? <laughs> ah. <laughs> ah. <laughs> like in English and in Arabic or yeah, what? Yeah, like in Arabic? Uh, I, yeah. <laughs> Do you want it in English too? Well, I know what, what makes you feel alive in English. Teaching. Is English. No, 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 no. I'm saying, can you say that phrase in Arabic? Oh, what makes hear, you feel alive? Yeah, because that's like, that's like our thing. Like, what we're, you know, like oh, our tagline. Man. What makes you feel alive? What are we talking I, about today? <laughs> I don't know if I have the grammar for that. That's I would probably mess well, it up. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. In any? Okay. <laughs> yeah, <right>. sorry. Okay. <laughs> 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 I'm always super I like to like look things up in Arabic before I say it just in case I'm like getting the grammar wrong yeah. it's so confusing but what's yeah. the word alive uh Aish Aish, Aish is live yeah Aish yeah. cool yeah <laughs> cool well thank you so much for taking the time to hang out with us today it was great to just hear about your background and yeah. you know learn about different cultures and immigration and what's going on what you're up to and we really appreciate it yeah of course thanks for having thank me thank you very much it was so much fun <laughs> thanks so much for checking out our latest episode be sure to check out the show notes for any links and additional info related to this episode you can find us on the web at theforgottenartproject.com and we also want to make sure and let you guys know about our Facebook group. Check out our Facebook page and click on the link to our group and we will make sure and add you. It's a great opportunity to continue the conversations that we are having during our interviews and we would love to have you be a part of it. If you have a great story or you know somebody that has a great story that you think would be a great fit for our show, please feel free to use the contact form on our website or email us at theforgottenartstories at gmail.com. We would love to hear about how you are pursuing what makes you alive. 
If you'd like to support this project, we've created an opportunity for you to do so. You can go to patreon.com forward slash the forgotten art project. And for as little as a cup of coffee or $4 a month, you can help us move this project forward and get some new equipment. Our first goal really is just to get some nicer equipment. You can hear how nice this microphone sounds. We'd like to get a few more of these so that the audio quality sounds fantastic for all of you folks to hear. We are truly honored to get to share your story.